Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fourth season, we're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from the Superhero Ethics Podcast. And I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. Today, we're talking about Minute 98, which begins with a clash of the Asgardian Titans and ends with Loki laughing at Thor's credulous simplicity. Joining us on the show today, we have Dr. Arnold Blumberg, publisher, author, educator, pop culture and comics historian, and friendly neighborhood zombie expert. Uh, Arnold, we've been getting to hear uh, so much about the different stuff you do. Uh, I know you were not a Thor fan. What was your first thoughts about this movie when it came out? Well, I was, like, I think most of us, particularly anybody who's a Marvel fan, it was just amazing to see all these characters starting to come alive for the first time in a big film, we'll, we'll forget about uh, the Hulk TV movie version of Thor for a minute. <laughs> um, and, and at that point, I don't remember quite what I can't even remember now what we knew exactly. I forget if we knew the Avengers was coming at that point already. Like that by this. Yeah. By yeah. this point, this, this and Captain America came out like back to back. Yeah. Right. Knowing that right. Avengers was coming out the next yeah, uh, summer or six months later. So it now. was. I mean, I I didn't I didn't care about this one nearly as much as the others, um, but I liked it, and I certainly saw the potential of Hiddleston uh, in particular, and Hemsworth also. Really, again, brilliant casting. He's exactly what I would want in a live action Thor, and he's proven since then to have even more uh, capability to do comedy and all kind of thing. So I enjoyed it a great deal. It just was probably, I would have put it at the end lower on the list, not as low as the Hulk, I'm sure, but, uh, but it was still fun. And it was so amazing to see these things being done in blockbuster films that I was just enjoying every minute of all of these. Yeah. Well, I'm good to hear all of that and a lot more right after this. We're getting close to the end of the season, which means we're getting close to doing some hiatus episodes that are going to be dropping between this season and next. If you want to listen to those, you got to be a member. Just head over to our site, truestory.fm slash Marvel Movie Minute, and you can find out what members get. It's only $5 a month, or you can get a discount if you join at the annual rate. All right, so we're now up to the minute that I call Fighty McFighty time. Um... We have this, like, two clash of the titans, these two going at each other. I am not necessarily a fight scene person. Like, the fight scenes, oddly enough, for someone who loves comic book action movies, often I can skip the fight scenes. But there is so much happening in this fight. What do you all see in how this plays out, the fight choreography? And, you know, starting with these two of them, like, clashing midair, like, it's like the two bull elephants charging at each other. This is one of those uh, those moments that you see often in these types of movies where two powerful beings are flying at each other to fight midair. I, I think of like when Darth Vader leaps with his lightsaber and you know and swings at at Luke. Or the other thing that usually I, comes to mind is Big Trouble in Little China <laughs> toward the end when uh, the the two uh, uh, you know powerful beings are using their energy and they're or no i think it's two of the the ninja guys are jumping at each other and fighting each other midair over and over again it's just it's one of these things and it's i don't know it's kind of fun to see uh here although in this particular case thor's just you know i i don't know if it's him or mjolnir is so much more powerful but uh but he really uh is able to kind of push loki back and knock loki down onto the floor 
I'm also very happy to hear that I'm not the only one that's not much for the fights. <laughs> and the thing is, I feel like as I'm getting older, I'm getting less tolerant. Like, I feel like, okay, I know we need the beat. Do a couple punches, but then please move on. And and instead you get now, like, because they're so proud of their wire foo and there's the CGI enhanced stuff. And you get like 10, 15 minute sequences. Watch this sequence on a bridge with a thing. And it's like, just can you please get back to the story? I get it. (laughs) So, I mean, what I will say is this still feels relatively economical. Like it's not it's not overstaying its welcome. And it's important plot wise because you want to see these two finally, you know, just express that rage and the jumping in midair is kind of silly, but again, like you said, that's thing, you know, so it's it's, like, it's pretty good. And the the one the one other thing though, I would say I dislike in a lot of these things is it takes a lot of work to properly shoot and edit and present these things in a way that doesn't feel chaotic or difficult to watch. And this one kind of falls in the middle for me. I think it's not the worst I've ever seen, but they're also kind of like just falling around in a very dark room, and it's not. I don't necessarily follow every second. It's not great, but fortunately it's not long. It's very quick. And there are a few of those beats that you're talking about that are a little, I mean, when you, when you're watching it frame by frame, you can see what's happening, but when you watch it just in the theater or, you know, at home or wherever, and and you're just playing through it, some of it happens so fast that, I mean, I guess your eyes kind of take in, Oh, somehow he got a, he got a, his, he got the upper hand, but it really is hard to see like and and you know it's it's shortly after uh, thor knocks loki down onto the floor um and and loki kicks him off of him you know loki's coming at thor he he swings gungnir down to strike at thor and and when i watch it i could in slow i step by step i can see what happens thor rolls to the side but somehow also spins backward so he can hit the back of loki's leg with his hammer but when you watch it, and, and it's just like the scenes are cut next to each other, it's very, it, it almost is just unclear, because it looks like Loki's about to hit Thor, but when you cut, it's like Thor has now hit Loki. It's like, well, what just happened there? So yeah, I, I definitely agree with you that there are these moments in this where sometimes it's very clear what's happening, and sometimes it's just cut together where they're just saying, you know what, we're, let's just move past it as fast as we can so that the audience doesn't have to think about it too much. Mm. Yeah, well, especially because, you know, up till now, the MCU had really been trying to be the more grounded, you know, like everything. What There was at least some sort of degree of pseudoscientific explanation for everything in the Iron Man movies and Hulk. Now we're way into the cosmic. And to, and to me, like one of the things that is interesting about this fight is we have the, the two weapons being used against each other. And I was wondering in the comics, Arnold, do you remember like – is there a moment where Thor with Mjolnir is fighting against someone holding, uh, wielding Gungnir? Or because that's mostly Odin's, do they never have that happen? I hate to say, I don't, I don't remember for sure a specific instance of that. I'd be, I'd be hard pressed to believe that never happened, but I, I can't point to any specific one, no. Mm-hmm. But, um, but again, I think that one of the things you, you were saying though is also something that I, that I think about a lot too is what, uh, so what a, a linchpin of a film this was in terms of carrying the audience along on the level of suspension of disbelief. Yeah. Like you said, this is quite a match where you have these two objects of power being wielded by people that are ostensibly gods or aliens. 
And this is an extraordinary step to take from all the way from Iron Man to this. And I remember them talking about it at the time, too, about how they had the idea. Well, you know, we have to start from the ground up and then slowly carry people to this. It's amazing to me to think that we're at a point now where we're throwing multiverse and everything at people and they're like, all right, bring it. <laughs> it's like yeah. it, used be, it used to be, are they going to, you know, are we, we going to lose these people because we have gods on a rainbow bridge? And it's like, nah, nah we're going to be fine. So, but it's interesting to look back at this one as being so crucial to the development of all that. Like much as I love Guardians of the Galaxy and think it is such a well put together movie, I don't think you could have had it in the MCU without this first. Oh, absolutely you know? not. No, yeah, yeah right. definitely. You, you need to bridge that gap to the cosmic MCU. It is, you know, going back to your point about the battle between Mjolnir and Gungnir, it's, I mean, it is an interesting fight and it, it does make me wonder, like, I, I think that the only reason Loki well, I don't, I don't know, maybe I'm being presumptive, but the only way that it seems like Loki is able to fight as well as he is against Thor, who we've always seen is like the bigger, muscular, more you know, broad, brawny brother. And Loki, the one who kind of hides in the shadows and throws daggers that he conjures up at people before going back into the shadows. I We've never seen Loki in such a physical fight before. And it, it I don't know, I guess, has he always had that in him? Or is it really just because he's wielding this this Uru weapon of power that I guess we could say is Mjolnir's match, question mark? Uh, like, is that is that why Loki is able to really hold his own with Thor at this point? See, that's what I would think. Because, again, like we like we've said before, and, and you just said now, this is a character who is a manipulator, a schemer. He's not a physical person yet here we are with him leaping through the air and it's like yeah that's because he's got something that he can use to try to match the hammer and and also you did let's not discount like we've already been talking about the psychological aspect and you pointed out before it's him pouring out all of the rage of a lifetime of of being you know the overlooked and and you know discounted and there's a lot to be said about whatever counts for adrenaline and Asgard being part of yeah. that. <laughs> you know, maybe he wouldn't win this fight surely, but he can try because he's all he's all built up for it at this point. Yeah. Well, and maybe on the flip side of that, the fact that Thor said, I will not fight you, brother. Right. Mentally, he's also holding back more. Exactly. He's pulling punches a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I want to talk more about Thor doing that in a second because he does start fighting. But I would just, I would just kind of echo, yeah, I, I think it is definitely a lot about the weapon, you know, because especially we saw, you know, it's not just a hammer for Thor. Like, he holds the hammer, he gets the power of Thor and down to a full-on outfit change. And I feel like, the, to some extent, this is true with, with Gugnir, like the power of the king, the power of Odin goes to the wielder of that. But, but now, going back to what you were just saying, Andy, like, so we had Thor saying, I will not fight you. And then Loki, you know, goading him, I'm going to, you know, all the classic, like, I'm going to go to your home and go to Earth. I'm going to take your woman. And then Thor does start fighting him. And you're right, he may be pulling his punches, but what is it that gets, is it just that Loki gets under his skin? Is it that he realizes that's the only way he can get to the Bifrost to stop it? Why does Thor start fighting him? Well, it's definitely an interesting angle that, you know, he's, like, by, by bringing Jane into it, that Thor realizes oh yeah the only way i can see her is by stopping her and stopping 
Loki and saving the Bifrost because that's the only tool I have to to get down to to Midgard. So that's certainly an interesting angle there. Um, I, I don't know if it's the only reason that he chooses to do so at that moment. Yeah, I feel like it's a little of both, like what you just said. It's probably a little of both. It's that he's goaded him up to a certain point, and also he knows that this is what he has to do in order to save the day, basically. So it's probably both happening at the same time. And if anybody, based on their relationship, if anybody could finally get Thor to a point where he throws away his reason, decides fine, it would be Loki. That's yeah. It's, it's almost not really a question of if, but when. Like, what's he going to say that'll finally be the thing that tips him over? And you also kind of get the feeling he's been doing this to him his whole life, and you know, needling him about different things. And now it's finally, you know, the most crucial battle of their lives, and he's still like finding the right button to push. Yeah, I think it's so true. <laughs> One of the things that Loki is best at is finding Thor's buttons to push, right? <laughs> <laughs> and they're really big buttons on the front. Here. <laughs> That's right. There's six yeah. big ones. He, he does not hide them particularly well. <laughs> uh so so then of course the fight comes to an end. Thor, you know, gives one mighty blow, sends Loki spinning off uh along the bridge, and and we what we seem to see is Loki gets sent that he's just barely holding on to the edge of the bridge, and so that Thor has to come over. Thor doesn't seem to want to help until Loki does this very plaintive brother please, and of course it turns out to be Loki just doing a trick with his illusion magic so he can stab Thor in the quite literally stab him in the back. And to me, I feel like this, this is much more how Loki fights. You know, this is kind of like, for those D&D fans, like the rogue and the barbarian have been going toe-to-toe. The rogue has realized, wait a minute, no, 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 I have stealth rolls. Like, I don't just roll melee. Um, and is it, like, do you think, was Loki planning this all along? Is it just that once Loki goes flying, he sees his opportunity? What's happening here? I would think it's possibly just an opportunistic thing, but it's also, as we as we've been talking about, relations back to the comics this is one of those moments that feels like it's a beautiful little nod to the way you would normally have seen loki pulling tricks in the old comics you know multiplying himself you know creating illusions all the all the kind of stuff that makes the most sense and here he is doing that you know with the multiple versions of him across the bridge um it is a nice moment that really feels like here here's a moment that really feels like we're capturing the loki that we'd expect to see and not a physical fighter, but a thinker. Yeah. Yeah. And this, the, you know, going back to what I was kind of saying earlier, it's like, this is the Loki that, like, you kind of expect to see in the fight. And and when Loki is like, I mean, as much as I love the move, but when he, like, drives Gungnir into the ground and then does that spinning kick from, as he spins around the spear to kind of kick Thor in the chest, I mean, it's a super cool move, but it's like, is that something that Loki would know how to do? I mean, I, I again, I'm not complaining. I think it's fine. I think it is fun to watch. But, like, this is exactly how I more expect Loki to be uh, kind of using his own skills in a fight so that he can get the upper hand on his brother. And I, I think it's, I don't know, I this moment, I think, speaks um, well to how quick Loki thinks on his feet as, I mean, as they're blasted through the wall of the observatory out onto the Rainbow Bridge, how quick he is to come up with this plan of like, oh, I'm going to create a a version of myself that's hanging off the edge so that I can I can, you know, actually attack Thor uh, from behind it's i mean it's very clever and that's the sort of stuff i love seeing and i mean <laughs> if they hadn't done this i would have really kind of 
I, I think in retrospect felt a little disappointed with this fight that it was it it was basically like pitting two fighting as guardians against each other as opposed to Loki and Thor. This makes much more sense to me in their fighting. Absolutely. And I think the course of the fight makes sense. You know, as we said, like Loki was just enraged, he's angry, he wants to fight, and on some level he wants to prove that he can be better than Thor in anything. And so there's probably that moment where he's like, I have Gungnir, I can stand toe-to-toe to him in a fight, and this is him being like, okay, maybe not that, but I still know how to win, you know? And what I love is that he basically is taking advantage of something that Thor always had, because he was just saying now, he, like, as we said, it's a good thing, but he's mocking Thor for it, the empathy that Thor's developed. Mm-hmm. Because he knows that Thor now, Thor does feel for his brother. Thor doesn't want to kill his brother. Thor feels bad for what happened to his brother. And so he believes he can practice on that. And it turns out he's completely right. Thor falls for it. Mm-hmm. And again, another classic villain kind of move. You see again and again of the the villain pleading like, you know, I know since you're the hero, you're not going to just let me die. Right. And using that against them. Yeah, very much so. And then we get the uh, chorus of Lokis, and it's just, you know, it, it fits so well that Loki can't just win. He has to he has to rub it in. He has to let Thor know again and again and again, quite literally, I beat you. <laughs> also a nice touch, by the way, that, you know, uh, plays very well into both Loki as a character and Hiddleston's portrayal of Loki, that, like, the strategy involves something that also is a pure expression of ego. Like, yeah, sure, he's so a million of himself or whatever number of himself to you know, there are there's no such thing as too many Lokis. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I love that because it, it's one part is that it's there's no, you know, it's the ego. The other part, though, is that, you know, Thor has his band of warriors. Mm-hmm. Loki's totally alone. If Loki needs allies, he has to just make more of himself. Yep. Right. <laughs> That's very true. So, yeah, probably a good place to wrap up. Um, Andy or Arnold, either you got any other kind of last things you wanted to mention? You know, just 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 one last thing that I, I think is interesting. I don't think that they necessarily needed it. I mean, when when they go, bl- well, and it leads to a question that we'll talk about more in the next minute. Um, as they're fighting inside the observatory and, and Thor basically kind of throws his hammer into Loki and propels them through the observatory wall out onto the Rainbow Bridge, I mean, I, I think that it works well. It gets us out of the interior of the space and out to the exterior for us to continue. Um, in the script, um, it, what's interesting is that what Loki actually fires Gungnir at Thor, knocking Mjolnir from his hand, and it drops into the Bifrost toward Jotunheim, and Thor is can't grab it, and he starts slipping into the Bifrost, and as it says in the script... Loki says, if you care so much for the Jotuns, then die with them. And then it says the Bifrost stretches every cell of Thor's body, trying to drag him away. He's nearly swallowed by the vortex. When he concentrates, mustering his will, he reaches out his hand toward the Bifrost. Mjolnir flies back through the maelstrom into Thor's hand. The hammer pulls him free. Loki tries to fire off another blast. And that's what propels them outside the wall of the observatory. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I don't, I I kind of, I I mean, I think that they simplified it and they made it work well. Um, it's interesting, though, that there is that moment uh, without Mjolnir where he really does have to kind of fight his way back from the edge, and I kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it did raise a question for me, all of this, because the observatory, I mean, it spins, the whole thing spins, and they blast through the wall. As it's spinning, 
and I can't help but think that is is part of the reason that you know, as we'll, I think we can maybe talk about more of this more in the next minute, but everything starts feeling like it's going really wonky is because essentially like the observatory wall has been broken and the whole thing is like, you know, it's like you can't have that gyroscopic spin if something's, you know, kind of hanging off the side or something. And it makes me wonder if there's something intrinsically that's just starting to increase the vibrations. I don't know if that's just me overthinking it or what. I don't know. It's something, like you said, it might make a little something to explore in the next minute as well. But it's yeah, an yeah. interesting point. It also means like with everything spinning and them getting blown out, it's convenient, isn't it, that they don't uh, both blow out into space but wind up on the bridge neatly. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> the remainder yeah, of the fight sequence. Exactly. Yeah, that note. Whew, good. They they really skirted not landing in the ocean there in the Asgardian <laughs> <Definitely>. Sea. <laughs> Definitely. All right. Well, that's a good place to wrap up. We got a lot more to talk about tomorrow and Friday. Um, Arnold, we heard about your publishing company. Um, tell us more about the podcast you do. Uh, Goals in the House is a podcast that I do with my wife, Natalie. And uh, we had previously been doing, I'd done a podcast for many years also called Doctor of the Dead, which is what you can find me on Twitter is Doctor of the Dead. And kind of wrapped that one up. It was very, it was tended to be more zombie specific. And with Ghouls in the House, we wanted to open things up a bit and be able to talk about pretty much everything in horror and something, some things science fiction and fantasy as well. And we just kind of uh, veer all over in time and space, I suppose. And we pick different movies and occasionally television and, uh, and chat about them. And uh, most recently, we did an episode that was about the original Omen trilogy. And oh, nice. um, and right over the holidays, we did a special shorter episode on Anna and the Apocalypse, which is a really fun zombie movie from several years ago, set in Scotland. So uh, zombie Christmas musical, right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> wow, fun okay. and depressing and equal. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. All right, well, it's definitely something to check out. Uh, to our fans, as always, thank you so much. You're what makes this all possible. Hope you're really enjoying this. Let us know what you think, and most importantly, have a great day. Until next time, true believers. This season's music is One Last Ride by Martin Puringer. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. Andy Nelson.